Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosofsky, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Great. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Today, okay, we have a busy slate, uh, especially busy for Canadian cinema. We're going to start off with a film that premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2022, and it's finally being released on March the 17th in cinemas across Canada. It's the latest film from Clement Virgo. Uh, you'll know him from number of films. He's a well-known filmmaker. Uh, he started his career with the bold and beautiful, wonderful, amazing uh, film called Rude. And this film, you know, he's he's had this like storied career and this film is like just an amazing part of his, his filmic journey. Um, this film really shows how much he's matured and I, oh, I'll get into that in a second. Let me just tell you, it is um, a film that is an adaptation of David Charlandi's award-winning novel, Brother. Okay, did I mention the title of, this, of Clement Virgo's film? It's called Brother. So make sure you look for Brother in cinemas near you. Um, and the film, at, like the book, centers on the relationship between Francis and Michael, two black Canadian brothers growing up in Scarborough. And it takes place in the early nineties and goes into like the early 2000s. So it's focused on the early Toronto hip hop scene. So there's the Scarborough connection, there's this Toronto hip hop scene connection. Um, but uh, most importantly, the film has this incredible emotional impact and it comes largely from the performances and Clement Virgo's direction. You know, in my opinion, the script is solid. Like it's totally solid. Um, but the accents, the, the, the strong accents, the mature style of his, where he's like giving you these, these, um, these accents to things that are happening, the, the formal, strategy of the film like the visuals of the film it's like the the camera is constantly moving it's like it's uh most of the time it's it's like coming in closer you know um it's zooming in uh with this sort of graceful motion but uh unfortunately all of this is is not to tell uh us anything graceful it's to to give us the emotional impact of this really difficult life uh, growing up in Scarborough. Um, by setting it in the 90s, he, uh, Virgo, and he's doing something that uh, reminds me of Rice Boy Sleeps, which was set in the 80s. Like having these stories that are set in the past, uh, when it comes to the, the impact of racism, um, it gives us a little bit of a diff distance so you can have this like critical distance and you can see what was happening. Um, and then you can also see how little has changed. And that's especially true in brother. And that's why it's so emotionally affecting. It's like things um, are so, so impactful. Like I just found myself like, just getting so emotionally overwhelmed at times throughout the film. And the film goes back and forth in time to tell this story, tells the story of a family and a community in crisis 
you know, facing violence and racism and just trying to, to live and be together and, and love each other. And, you know, and it's like, sometimes I just broke down while watching this film in it, like in the, in a good way, like in a way like that the film affected me so, so deeply, uh, you know, this, like this cynical critic was like, I was completely drawn in. And that's the other thing. Sorry to keep going on, Courtney. I know you want to talk about this film. Oh, no, um, go ahead. You're, you're saying all the things I would have said anyway. <laughs> but that's the other thing about Clement Virgo's directing is that um, he's directing in this like raw poetic way, which is really familiar when it comes to his style. He really knows how to do that well. Uh, but he's also creating this atmosphere of suspense you know, it's a tense atmosphere. It's almost like a thriller. So it's like he's walking the, these lines between genres and styles and mixing them together into this incredible portrait and in, into this incredible story. And that's why it has such an impact is because of the way that he blends all these elements together. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really beautiful film. And I think what holds it together so well is the the performances, as you mentioned, um, Lamar Johnson as Michael and Aaron Pierre as as Francis. Like you, you don't really believe that they're brothers, but you feel like you've been on this rough, rocky journey with them all their lives. Even though the film is literally bouncing back and forth between like three distinct time periods, but you're so engrossed in their world that you feel like you're one of the you know silent friends just observing the ups and downs of of their life and it's such a beautifully shot film um it's it's one of those films and i'll say this it's rare in the sense that it's one of those films where you could just see the trailer of this film and just see a few shots and you're immediately taken back into there you're still you're you're immediately pulled into like the poetic beauty of it all and that's very rare to take to achieve because often as we know a, a trailer could easily be cut in different ways to tell you some but to bring up all those emotions from when you think back to the the film and just in those little clips taken take back there is is quite a feat and it's just a really interesting film about family and identity coming of age in, in terms of like navigating school in terms of navigating school family but even like human sexuality as you said, there's systemic racism that they have to deal with. There's a, a, a very stirring commentary throughout this entire film about the immigrant experience and the sacrifices that a lot of parents have to make for their children. But in doing that sacrifice, it inadvertently puts children at risk because the children are often kind of left on their own while the parents have to work these long hours to just try and make do so there's a lot going on in this film and yet it all flows and weaves together so nicely that you never feel lost and you, you as i said you feel wrapped up in this world and it, it shows it gives scarborough poetic beauty that we don't often see captured on film so yeah i really like this film is one of my favorite canadian films of the year so anytime we can talk about brother i'm always happy to do that Yes, me too. It's one of my favorite films uh, as well. So it was like one of my favorite films of last year, but now it's also one of my favorite films mm -hmm. of this year because 
it's getting its release on March 17th. And um, just like Rice Boy Sleeps, which we have talked about. Yep. Um, but I will talk about it again because like brother, uh, any chance to talk about Rice Boy Sleeps, uh, I'm taking it. Okay. Um, and uh, And like you said about brother, in terms of the immigrant experience, um, this film really captures it and really um, makes it real for all of us. And I think a lot of us can recognize it. Um, and like I was saying about Brother, you know, it's set it's set in the past, it's set in the eighties, um, and it it it, uh, it it gives you like this critical distance, so you can see like how difficult it is. Like for example, in Rice Boy Sleeps, when the kid is the only person of color in his classroom, the only child, right? So in this case, um, the the film is about uh, a single mother from Korea, originally from Korea, and her son and how they're growing up. And uh, in Brother, it was a single mother as well. And so this mother also, you know, the sacrifices that she makes, as you said, um, for her son and and how they both have to deal with the casual racism of, of and the systemic racism uh, built into the into society. Um, but there's all, and Anthony Shim is the director of this one, and he his his direction is also brilliant. Um, the way that he he has his formal strategy is to he draws, draws us in with a similar roving camera style, like not, it doesn't move in the same way that Clement Virgo's camera does. Um, this one moves in different ways. Uh, and uh, he uses long takes, which means that, you know, you can have a scene take place, you know, a longer scene take place in one shot. Uh, and the camera just sort of moves through through the action or moves from one to the other. So there's there's also a flow in this film that uh, that really draws you in. And, and I would say Rice Boy Sleeps and Brother are films that that draw you in so much into their worlds that you you can barely feel time going by, you know, like the experiences are so intense and the films go by so quickly that I I bet you'll be surprised when it's over. Like that you've watched an entire feature film in both cases. And yeah, like I said, Rice Boy Sleeps also opens March 17th. Both of those films are definitely worth your time. And it's it's funny that, you know, the way how Canadian films tend to to roll out, you have like two really good films coming out both on the exact same day. So, you know, do, know, do yourself a favor, do, do a double bill because uh, they're, they're both re- really worth your time. I know that's the my only complaint. That's my only complaint is why is everything coming out at the same time? Because also, like I'm going to say it, I'm going to mention this film again. We like, uh, sorry, we like, I like movies. <laughs> you and I both like this film called yeah. I Like Movies, and I Like Movies just just came out. So all these great Canadian films are coming out at the same time, and that's that's the only problem is that I wish things were, you know, spread out a bit so that each could shine, each film Mm. could shine in their own light and not, uh, for example, be put into one conversation from the two of us, like people like us who really love these films, you know. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, you saw a film that I still haven't caught up with yet. Uh, the Quiet Girl. Did you want to talk about that one? Okay, so now now my enthusiasm is going down. The level is going to go down a little bit. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it, the Quiet Girl is playing now. It it's been out for a little while, and I think it probably came out in time for the Oscars ceremony uh, because it was nominated for um, a, an Academy Award for Best International Feature. And it qualified because uh, it takes, uh, the language is, I guess, it's the, the notes call it, like, it's in Irish, which I think in the olden days would have been called like a Gaelic, like an Irish Gaelic, right? So The Quiet Girl is, as you would expect, about this, this young girl, she's about 10. And she's, she's part of a family that's kind of like chaotic, um, not not doing very well. The whole thing t- takes place in rural Ireland, set in 1981, round about there, and she's withdrawn. Uh, the family is sort of chaotic, like I said, poor. Um, the mother's about to have yet another child, so she's she's kind of getting lost in the shuffle. She, but not only is she withdrawn, she tends to like take off and wander, so she's a bit of a hassle to to keep track of her and all that while while the parents are actually struggling with their relationship and they're struggling with their farm and you know with upkeep and feeding these children and um so they decide that she could go the girl could go off to live with uh, a pair of relatives for the summer and this turns into a, a positive experience for the young girl because finally she's given attention. She is uh, treated with kindness by this couple who, you know, are childless and who really appreciate her in a way that she has not been used to. And the film is quiet in itself. So sorry to use that word too many times, but it is a quiet film. It's um, it, it's got its own moments of poetry, but I found that the style, like in terms of the way it was put together, there's there's nothing really unusual about it. And maybe I'm like being harsh in judgment because it was nominated for an Oscar. Maybe if I had seen it before any sort of nominations, uh, I would have maybe not. I think it's a perfectly fine film. That let me let me just make that clear. It's a perfectly well-made film. It just I don't think is going to stand out. And I don't think a few months from now I will remember, or maybe a year from now, I will remember this film because especially watching after Brother, after seeing Brother again, right, which was an incredible experience. This has um in terms of the way it deals with the emotions and in the inner like the character and trying to understand the character. It's got this sort of predictable and sometimes emotionally manipulative way of being, especially I really did not appreciate the ending at all. Um, it's not like a really dramatic, like, you know, but I just thought that's kind of a cop out that ending, you know, it's kind of a, Oh, we're making an artsy film ending. It's like, let's end it like this. Mm-hmm. Well, um, 
you know, that's just not very interesting because you didn't, you didn't earn the right to do that in the way that you put this film together. It's like, it's, I'm sure it's going to be a perfectly nice experience and it's, it's a nice story. Yeah. But just not one that, uh, that grabbed you like nice is fine. But when, especially when you start to think of like all the, uh, um, accolades that it's getting yeah you, know, you would expect something a little more thing. oh interesting yeah. interesting yeah okay. and, and especially since it got the one of the slots for best international feature and i think of films like saint omer and decision to leave that did not get a slot mm-hmm. that did not get a nomination and i think of the way they're made and i think of the impact of those films and how unforgettable i found them yeah then okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I will, I'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, I'm going to pivot a bit to the streaming platform. We've been talking about stuff that you can see in theaters, but I did catch up with um, a new film that Netflix actually produced, uh, Luther, The Fallen Sun. And it it's basically the theatrical adaptation of the Luther series that starred Idris Elba and I guess I thought they, was, they had only done four seasons, but according to IMDb, they did a fifth season. So I need to track that down. But if you've seen the series, then you pretty much know what to expect. Um, Idris Elba plays DCI, um, John Luther, and he is well known for being a brilliant detective, especially when it comes to crimes of murder. But also he's a man with a bit of a death wish and tends to bend the rules um, and does what he thinks is what he deems is necessary to, to catch the criminal. Um, and in this film, it kind of comes back to haunt him where he's on a case. Uh, he's on a missing person's case. And as he's getting a little too close um, to cracking it, Things are put in place that cause him to wind up in prison. Um, information about his past and some of his past approaches come to light, and he's thrown into jail, stripped of his of his badge. But of course, you know Luther's just not going to take that lightly, especially when you have this new serial killer um, played by Andy Serkis, who is taunting him from out, outside and is planning this real kind of mastermind um, event, this event that's going to shock the world. So Luther essentially has to break out of prison and the film becomes kind of part fugitive, part saw slash eight millimeter, where in the sense that while he's on the lam trying to solve this case, you have the police, um, trying to catch both the serial killer and Luther and the new head detective is played by Cynthia Erivo. Um, so you've got all those balls in play. And then also you have Andy Serkis's character who is very much using internet and technology to not only get his victims, but also blackmail people into helping him. So he'll like hack through your computer camera, your phone, your internet things, and find incriminating or embarrassing things about you 
and then hold that and say, well, you wouldn't want your parents or your husband or your bosses to see this footage or find out and kind of getting blackmailing people into doing that terrible things for him. And so there's a lot of, a lot going on in, in this film. And it's interesting because Luther as a series was always kind of dark. It was a very gritty kind of series. Whereas the film just ratchets that up. It's like a really, it gets really dark at times. And that's why I bring in like the saw comparison. Cause there's a lot of choices. Sometimes people have to make, and you're watching this film, you're like, oh, this is almost boring on a horror film in terms of just how they, it, it never gets to that point. But it's just it's just a really dark tone kind of film and some of the subject matter as well. Is it gory? No, no, no. I've never seen Luther, which is odd because I love Idris Elba. Mm -hmm. I, I admit. Um, but yeah, if it's bordering on horror. No, it's more in terms of like the the situations that people find themselves in. Uh, there's a particular part, especially towards the end, where even my wife had to get up and she was like, "Okay, I let me know when this is over," because and and nothing actually ended up happening, but it was just the idea of something could happen and the way how it's framed. It really that's what I'm saying in terms of it, it almost feels like it's a horror film, but not quite. Um, so you, you can watch it, and it's not too gory. It's more of a you know, a crime. How's he going to catch the this crazy serial killer? But it's just really dark, almost like Silence of the Lambs. How Silence of the Lambs took it to a certain level of of, of darkness, but you could still watch it and not be um, disgusted. It's right. Similar to that. So it, it was. It's a good film. Like I mean, it's entertaining. It's just it was a lot darker than I was expecting, and it took a while to kind of wrap your head around. Oh, they're actually taking it there, but I guess because it's a feature fi feature length film, and I I do believe it's being released in theaters as well as streaming. Um, I guess they have a little more leeway with with the story. Um, right. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like an overly long episode. Um, it's still not quite perfect because I think also even though they have more runway, they try to cram a lot into it. Like you know the fact that he starts off in prison you have this whole sequence of him having to get out of prison and then it kind of becomes a fugitive with him on the, like there's a lot of setup that they have to do. And then also you have to figure out, well, how are we going to explain the motives of this serial killer and his greater plan? So there's a lot going on. I, I think it's worth seeing it's, it is a, a solid film. It's just a lot darker than you would anticipate and not quite as, um, smooth as it could have been in terms of its narrative structure you also compared it to eight millimeter you said yeah. it was sort of like a saw eight millimeter yes and eight millimeter simply because um with that nicholas cage film there's the whole viewership aspect to it like eight millimeter was about snuff films and this is not really about snuff films but there is an element of people taking pleasure in seeing others injure pain um and that's all I will. will that is say. dark. So, that, yeah. yeah, that is so dark. There's, there's those elements that are all thrown in, and it's uh, it's it was an interesting film. Like I, I was never bored. It was you know, it's an entertaining movie. It's just a lot of those ideas come in. Like oh, I did not expect it to go there, and and that's what that film does. And that could be fun, right? Yeah, it can be. But again, just you have to just be prepared. It's a lot darker than. <laughs> um, and and I will raise uh, one more, but completely opposite end of 
the spectrum. This one's more of a comedy dramedy. Um, it's Sharp Stick, and it's um, one of the two films that Lena Dunham made last year. So she had Sharp Stick, and she had uh, the delightful film Catherine Call Me Birdie. Both are films, I would argue, are both kind of coming-of-age films of sorts. Um, Catherine Call Me Birdie, I think, was set in i want to say the 16th century maybe 18th century but a period piece about a uh a young woman coming of age and not wanting to be put in an arranged marriage um and in bella ramsey from the last of us the main actress in the last of us she played um the the titular character and it was a, a really charming amusing coming of age to, uh, whereas sharp stick is about a woman who's 26 um played by uh christine i think what was her name christine force froseth and she is she plays sarah joe who's 26 year old living with her mother played by jennifer jason lee and her sister played by taylor page and kind of lives like a very sheltered life if you will she's studying to be um a person who works with people with disabilities and, and special needs. So she's essentially kind of on a work co-op kind of program. Um, so her life is just kind of consistent to family and school and the job. And whereas her sister is very much all about the Instagram, being an influencer, taking photos, risque photos, what have you. And the mother is just kind of this person who's very much embracing of her daughter's um traits but seems more focused on the social media influencer than sarah joe but while sarah joe is working for this couple um played by john bernathal and lena dunham herself she ends up having an affair with the husband so john bernathal's character josh and that kind of causes her sexual awakening um obviously Things with that relationship go badly because, again, she's having an affair with a married man, but it kind of sets her down this path where she starts to dive into pornography and just starts to look into, study a bit more about female sexuality. But a lot of it she's getting from the world of porn, an adult film. So she then essentially creates like her own checklist, if you will, and an ABCs of different sexual things that she wants to do and from there the film kind of follows her on this journey as she's having these weird encounters while also trying to keep that aspect um, secret from her family life and her work life but being a lean in a film there's a lot of female empowerment woven into it um you know as quirky as the subject matter is it is very much about women being able to embrace their sexuality in all its forms. The The problem I have with this film is that the characters are so broadly written um, and so quirky. Like Sarah Jo herself is so naive and so innocent that it's kind of hard to believe that someone living on the edges of Hollywood at 26 would be so clueless to so many things of life, especially when her sister is such a social media heavy person and just the way how the mother is talking openly about her past relationships and 
the various men in their lives. Like it just, it feels odd to have that type of character. And then also the, the people that she interacts with, like Josh is very much a man child of a husband. Um, and gets to the point where he's almost really annoying. And I know that's how the character is written and Bernathal does a really good job in his portrayal, but you just, the character is almost too childish to be adults at that stage in their life. So I had problems navigating that. And then the humor itself is just, it doesn't always work. Um, there's a great cameo by Scott Speedman, um, who plays essentially this male adult film star that Sarah Joe basically chooses as her ideal person, you know, the, the and there's a lot of weird moments where you'll see him on the sets of films kind of giving these inspirational messages while he's still in a porn film, right? So it's just like <laughs> moments like that work um, in terms of the humor. But then when you get outside of that kind of world and you're in Sarah Joe's like daily life, it just it felt a little off. So I understand what Liam Dunham was going for. I don't think it works with this film. And I think Catherine Call Me Birdie is a far better film in terms of like women embracing their own identity and power, um, what have you. Obviously, it doesn't have like the sexual element to it. But if you're going to stream one of the two Lena Dunham films, I would recommend that film over Sharpstick. Hmm. It, it sounds like, I don't know, sometimes Lena Dunham, she just does this like weird extreme, like, you know, as you say, you know, things are broadly written. So it's like, like it's hard to b- believe that someone would have the motivation to do this or that, that you mm-hmm. know as you're describing it it's like like she goes into porn like she goes into delves into the world of porn and it's like where did that come from like just in your description where did that come from does, yeah. it, does they, it they feel like that in the film no no they at least they at least set it up because it's when she's with josh that josh kind of shows her um a an adult film on his computer and then that's what causes her to go and start doing her own research delving into it but the the idea that she's 26 years old and doesn't know that adult films exist at all you know like she she's the way how she approaches it she's like oh you know people actually do this like you know and do this type. like it was just one of those weird things where the education she's getting i understand she's um, a virgin and lives a, a, a rather sheltered life, but it, it just felt weird that she was that clueless to so many things and then would take so many risks in terms of her, like she's very naive on her journey of, of sexual awakening, um, even in terms of like her encounters with various men and how she approaches some of them and, you know, thinks that I only specifically am here for one thing and that's the other person's only going to want that one thing. It's like, well, no, life doesn't work that way. Like there's just a lot of stuff. So for someone like Lena Dunham, you know, I would argue like go rewatch the series girls. If you really want a film about young women kind of embracing life, relationship, sexuality, like it's far more interesting than sharp six. Sharp six feels like, a script that was kind of lying around for a while that she finally got to make. And who knows, maybe she wrote it, you know, in 2019 for all we know, but it just, the ideas feel really kind of dated in a world that is supposed to be far more current 
you know, especially with like technology and social media. So I don't know. It just it didn't quite work for me. But if you're a fan of Lena Dunham, it is playing on Movie Canada. Um, so you can stream it there. All right. Well, that's quite a lot of stuff, a lot of different. Um, we've given you a variety of things. Yes. You can go out or you can stay in. I will say again that probably both of us are recommending that should you go out, we recommend you go out and go see both Brother and Rice Boy Sleeps, which are op- just opening on March the 17th. Yeah, and they're definitely in worth the, the the trip to the theaters for. Absolutely. Never mind, never mind snowstorms in Toronto or you know, whatever's happening mm-hmm. in terms of the weather, uh, where you are. And uh so I guess we're gonna wrap up this show today. I'm just going to uh point out that if you missed anything that uh that we were talking about or part of our conversation. Or if you want to check out more episodes that we do, we um, Frameline is available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's free, totally free, nice and easy. That's right. Um, take take a moment to to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this episode. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, we'd really appreciate that. That's it for another edition of Frameline for Courtney Small. I'm Barbara Gosowski. Thanks for listening.